Well, good morning, folks. Or well, hello to those that might know Paul Hogan. Remember Paul Hogan? He would say, G'day, viewers. So this is the first of, we hope, will only be a few presentations while we uh, work in circumstances that we could not have foreseen. Thank you for watching, and today we'll finish the series we began on Jerusalem versus Babylon. And here's the result. Jerusalem wins. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Father, for the surety of the victory that is in your word and in your power and in your promises, Lord. Strengthen us to hold on to those victories, your promises, in the times of strength and in the times of weakness, Lord, that you will draw close to us and that we may ever more draw close to you. Amen. <clears throat> so what we're going to do now is we're going to recap just briefly what we've done over the last four weeks, last three weeks, sorry, and then we'll finish or tie it all together for a new series to start very soon. So Jerusalem wins between Babylon and Jerusalem. Where have we travelled so far? Fast approaching is the day when the sun will rise upon Babylon for the final time. Babylon will be as ignorant to its apocalyptic dawn as it is to the good Lord now, for it does not believe there is an end, but the Bible makes that very clear. Confusion can never rule peace. Peace will always win out in the end. <coughs> Excuse me. Babylon will be, will be ruined, but Jerusalem will be restored. Don't bank on Babylon. All your deposits to be made in Jerusalem. And isn't that ever so true now when the Babylon of the world, the merchants and the banks, are fearing so much loss of money? Doesn't matter if your deposits are in Jerusalem. That's what counts. For Babylon, as we will see, is the city whose smoke is going to rise forever. So just to sum up in one sentence the four um, messages that uh, this series has. The first one was don't get lost as you head to Jerusalem. The second message was refuse to build upon what God intends to destroy. Third one last week was remember the Lord in a faraway land and do not conform to Babylon's ways. Be in it but not of it. And today... We ask the Lord to stamp eternity upon our eyeballs, for Babylon is going to lose. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, Martin Luther only had two days on his calendar. He had today and that day. The day comes when Babylon will be described permanently as a home to demons, a haunt to the, to the detestable and a whore to the nations who will never survive. He alone controls all time. God controls that. Privilege, power and great wealth, luxury, splendour and precious stones are no hedge against weeping and mourning and viruses, which is what we face now. There is no fortress against the hour of divine destruction or the trumpet blasts of heaven. No one will be able to withstand that hour. The last sunrise for Babylon what will usher in the second sunrise, S-O-N, sunrise, for all who face Jerusalem. So that is our task, that is our joy, 
and that is our path until we meet the Lord. Now Babylon has long been held up by three pillars and they are enticing pillars. Babylon's pillars are gold, gals or guys and glory. They're the three things it teaches us to pursue. But we have to leave these before the destruction of Babylon or else we're caught up in the pursuing of its values and its ways and not the Lord's. Now Babylon has three enticing pillars but Jerusalem has three noble pillars. Giving generously, which is the opposite of storing wealth, subduing the flesh by watering my spirit with the Holy Spirit. Babylon teaches us, doesn't it, just to take and indulge. Jerusalem tells us to subdue, subdue the flesh and use the Holy Spirit as his divine water in our lives. And the third point of Babylon is glory. The third point of Jerusalem is humility. Can you see the pillars that uphold Babylon are pillars with feet of clay? But the pillars that, up, the pillars that uphold Jerusalem are surely the pillars that will last forever and are built of iron. And as always, we see in Babylon's values and Jerusalem's value, Jerusalem's value, they are reversed and they will forever stay that way. See, Babylon is still under divine authority, so Babylon is impotent at the end. Babylon is still not a free agent and it will always be that way. Babylon has been God's instrument of destruction. That was when Israel was overrun by Nebuchadnezzar. And now, not only was Babylon God's instrument of destruction, now it becomes the object of his destruction. And Babylon is completely impotent to resist. To tie this together with Revelation 17, because we're going to be looking at Revelation 18, John, the apostle who wrote Revelation, said in verse 6 of Revelation 17, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. That's verse 6. Verse 17, the Lord describes the woman. The woman you saw is the great city, Babylon, that rules over the kings of the earth. Now we come to, to Revelation 18, where God unleashes his terrible judgments upon Babylon. Now, if you've got your Bible, please grab it, and we're going to look reasonably closely at Revelation 18, 1 to 3. I'll give you a moment to go and get your Bibles and open it to Revelation 18 while I have a quick sip. Now we're four chapters from the end of the Bible and we're beginning the end of the world. John says in Revelation 18, 1 to 3, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendour. This, uh, this text is taken from the NIV, if your text is slightly different. Now with a mighty voice, he shouted, the angel shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and don't we know that? A haunt for every impure spirit, don't we see that? A haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable, detestable animal. 
Take the picture that John's painting here of the blackness of Babylon that God is going to deal with. In verse 3, John writes, For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries because the goal was, go- go- the, the goal was gold. The gold was glory. And so the kings of the earth and the lesser merchants of the earth all would be unfaithful as long as they could grow rich and have excessive luxury. Verse 4 of Revelation 18, 4 to, of Revelation 18. John repeats, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, and then you will not receive any of her plagues. So we're living in Jerusalem, but we're told to come out. How do I not share in her sins? I seek purity and not impurity. I seek humility and not glory. And I seek to be um, generous and not to be wealthy. For her sins, sins of Babylon, are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Give her back as she has given. Now it's reciprocity for the Christians as God approaches the destruction of Babylon in Revelation. Give to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. She gets twice as much trouble as she gave. Give her as much torment and grief as the luxury and glory she gave herself. What an image of the unrestrained glory and the unrestrained luxury that Babylon gives and is pursued in Babylon. So how much more can she pile up torment and grief as well? Babylon in her heart boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. They're famous last words, aren't they? I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning and famine will be upon her. And she, Babylon, will be consumed by fire. For for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. How does God destroy the world next time? It's by fire. It is not by water, as he is clearly made, clearly promised. And nothing will escape fire except the redeemed souls that belong to the Lord. Now we're moving over to Revelation 18.9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. One hour. This is going to be quick. It's not going to be painless. And it's not going to change. In one hour your doom has come. And the quickness and the speed of Babylon's destruction is repeated further in Revelation 18. The merchants of the earth will weep and moon over and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Please understand that the weeping over Babylon and its destruction is not the loss of Babylon, but it's the loss of opportunity to make money. 
The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, cargoes of silver, precious stone and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and sacred scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marbles. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, meat, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings being sold as slaves. They profited, the merchants of Babylon profited from those who are made in the image of God. Somehow I wonder that there's an applicability and, and, a, and an emphasis that's coming today as we look at the broken merchants as we look at the breaking of economies, the breaking of wealth and the distribution of the world as we cut each other out now, where we don't communicate and we can't gather as one. I wonder where this is taking us, this modern virus. But certainly there are echoes of those events here in Revelation 18. So the merchants will say, the fruit you, be, the fruit you long for Excuse me, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendour have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment, and they will weep and mourn. They will cry out as Babylon is destroyed before their eyes, Woe, woe to you, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Please understand again, one, it is very quick. In one hour, there's a speedy destruction awaiting Babylon. But what they mourn isn't the loss of Babylon, they mourn the loss of their great wealth that has been brought to ruin. Continuing on now from verse 17, and it repeats the same speediness. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. That's repeated. The emphasis and the sadness and the loss of wealth. It's not the loss of life. It's not the loss of Babylon. It's not the loss of well-being. It's the loss of wealth that has been brought to ruin and that's what troubles them. John goes on and writes, Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this, such a great city? And they will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning, these merchants will cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. But in one hour, get that speediness again. She has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, because God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. So now the reciprocity reverses. He who is punished becomes he who is blessed. And he who is blessed becomes he who is punished. Revelation explains so clearly that Babylon is as permanent as we are until we meet our Lord. And then, of course, we're not permanent at all. 
So picking up Revelation now at verse 21, taking it through Revelation 18 at verse 21, and taking it through to verse 24. So there's a picture here in, in John's image, and he sees this mighty angel pick up a boulder, a large mill, a size of a large millstone, and he threw it into the sea, and he said, the angel said, with such violence, the same sort of violence that was tossed into the sea, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down and never to be found again. And I suspect that's the reality of the restoration processes to try and re rejuvenate Babylon and make it into a, uh, a holiday destination, a tourist, uh, a tourist spot, because it says that Babylon will be thrown down never to be found again. It's now in weakness on the way to being lost. So John continues to describe the music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeteers will never be heard in you again. No celebration, no happiness in Babylon. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a, light, the light of a lamp will, sh will never shine in you again. Does that not picture a place of barrenness, a place of trouble, a place of darkness? Does that not picture a bridegroom and a bride will never be in you again? There will be no things that are happy. There will be no things that are good. There are no blessings. They've all been removed and destruction is happening. John says, you, your merchants were the world's most important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. That spell of greed, that spell of indulgence, that approval for that which is sinful, for the impurities. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. The prophets, God's holy people, those that have been slaughtered on the earth, are found in Babylon, but notice they are found. So there's a very bleak picture being painted. How do we leave Babylon now while we're still in the world and while mercy is still available? God's intentions are clear. Don't get caught in what God intends to destroy. It's a great mercy to know of God's intentions before his actions. So God appeals to us. Revelation 18.4 Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Depart, depart, come out from her. Touch no unclean, come, excuse me, touch no unclean thing, come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. How do I leave Babylon without packing my bags? I choose for purity. I head to Jerusalem, for that is a place of permanent peace and dwelling. So let's tie this together. Jonathan Edwards, 300 years ago, said, O oh God, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. Jerusalem is built by God, Babylon, Babylon isn't. Living in Babylon is setting the compass of life to Jerusalem. It is staying pure for the impure will not enter Jerusalem. No wriggle room or compromise. It's purity or it's not. Revelation 22 says at the end, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. I repeat that, to the tree of life. And may go through the gates of the city. 
Those who wash the robes are asking for the cleansing of the Lord. Outside the city are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Not all are going to make it. Please take note. Smoke from the Babylon, excuse me, the smoke from Babylon rises forever and ever. Our entire life is as much the march of spiritual conquest as anything else. Because, my friends, there is no turning back. Please hold that from today. There is no turning back. We are going forward. Babylon will be destroyed and Christ will be victor and we will be victor with Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us uninformed. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes in darkness, that we may walk in purity, we may walk in righteousness and enjoy your presence forever. Make our hearts strong and our arms stronger, Lord, so that we do not ever turn back. Amen.